Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. Coming up next for the interview is Dr. Chris DePrado. So Dr. Chris is an expert with those cup therapies or cupping. It's kind of if you're watching the Olympics, the athletes who have the big dark red circles all over their back. So he's going to dive all into the science behind that and where something like that might be valuable in your rehab program or your training optimization program. Dr. DePrado uses these techniques on professional and NCAA athletes at the UC San Francisco and UC Berkeley campuses while also teaching in their orthopedic residency for their school of medicine. He's a huge proponent and educator for manual therapy in sports and has presented evidence-informed practices at conferences nationally and internationally around the world. After receiving his BS in human physiology, he went on to get his master's in physical therapy from Long Beach and his doctorate from Tempe University, and then even went to get his board certification in sports from the ABTA. So he just has a ton of knowledge and education in the area of sports and has now brought that into cupping and how to best utilize that skill to optimize people's health, both in athletics, but also just in general life for anybody who might be wanting to progress the way they're moving and the way they're feeling in their body. So listen in, he has some great tips on where cupping might find its way into your routine. All right. I'm going to call you Dr. Chris DeFrado. <laughs> Thank you for being here so much. I know that, you know, we formally go with Chris or what people should look up right now is at Cup Therapy. I, you guys share so much information and I'm just we're, we're happy and honored to have you on the show today. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you guys all about the world of negative pressure and cups on the body. It's an exciting time with the Olympics around it all. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And everybody, when they watch these Olympics, they see all these athletes with these circles all over their body. And, you know, a few years before that, it was the whole like K-tape craze and people were seeing the K-tape oh. patterns all over everyone's body. And it, it is that kind of Olympic stage that sometimes can bring these things to the forefront. But where I want to start a little bit is more about like what makes you so passionate about working in this area of physical therapy and maybe even what drew you into the field of cupping? Absolutely. So how did I become a mother cupper is what you're, you're asking. <laughs> right? I love it. That, that's, that's a, it's, it's a good one because I am a very scientific minded, Western medicine trained physio, right? I, I worked really hard to go through my master's and then I got my doctorate after that so I can pursue more academic setting, um, teaching and, and practicing. And so I went through and I had a really bad shoulder injury. I was playing a lot of volleyball and, you know, I was around, it was probably 31, 32. And my labrum was torn on my left side of my shoulder. And I went through the traditional route of PT, did a little even acupuncture with some needling and everything was great. I could play volleyball, but only once a week because I would have residual soreness for about three, four days after playing volleyball. Mm. And I love playing maybe twice a week to three times a week. So it was really messing up my vibe. And so I was trying all these different new things that were out at the time. This is like 2006, 2007. And so I was trying the Graston techniques, the scraping stuff. And I was trying, um, again, needle acupuncture and some dry needling and some different things out there. And nothing could really improve my ability to go back and play volleyball three times a week or two times a week the way I wanted to. And so one of these sessions with an acupuncture, she says, well, let me try this other thing. 
And she pulled out these glass cups and she lit a cotton ball on fire and started running the rim with this cotton ball and putting them on my back. I was freaked out at first, again, because fire is kind of scary in a (laughs) clinical setting. But then also, I was like, well, what's this suction thing going to do that like foam rolling wouldn't do or this Graston tool that I love using doesn't do? Like, what, what do you mean? She's like, let's just try it. And so she put them across what she was targeting as my small intestine channel. And I didn't really understand understand what that meant at the time, but she went across my scapula and went across the top of and lateral side of the outside of my scapula. And she had like three or four of them on. She said, just lay there for like 10, 15 minutes and then see how you feel afterwards. And I'm very antsy. I don't like to sit still ever. And I, as soon as they were on me, I was like, Ooh, that feels weird. It's kind of interesting, kind of, you know, a little pinchy, but a little bit warm as well. And right away I wanted to move. And she's like, no, 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 don't move. I was like, well, I, I, I want to move. I'm a physiotherapist. That's what I do. <laughs> and so I started just kind of moving around with them a little bit. And she's like, okay, okay, let me take them off because they're going to fall off. Otherwise, then they're going to break because they're glass cups. And she took them off and I got up off the table and I put my arm up and I had absolutely zero restriction to go up for like what would be an end range like blocking if you're playing volleyball. You know, you could reach over the net and you try to block someone. And I had zero pain. I went the next day and I played volleyball. And I could play as much volleyball as I wanted. And the following day after that had zero irritability. Mm. And it blew my mind because all this traditional physio work, chiropractic stuff, acupuncture stuff was not hitting my functional limitation. And so when I saw that, I, I asked her, like, why did this work? What was going on with this? And she talked to me about from an Eastern medicine standpoint, that small intestine channel and putting cups on there was really connected to this part about an emotional thing and a, a feelings thing that I wasn't able to like get out of my body. I was like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about at all. <laughs> you didn't uh, learn that in your science-based yeah. Western course, Chris? <laughs> no way. Not only was I emotionally too immature to accept anything she was saying, but also just like my practice and my, you know, scientific rigors that I went through had never touched the mind-body connection of it all. Mm-hmm. And so I asked her, I was like, well, what about the scapulothoracic like or glenohumeral rhythm of it all of it all. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there was a disconnect on what my brain thought of of why it helped and why it worked so well with just one session and why she thought maybe it worked so well with one session. And so I really started playing with it with some of my clients and especially I was in Denver, Colorado at the time, very active population, a lot of rock climbers, a lot of volleyball players, a lot of just outdoor enthusiasts. And reaching above coming out of a shoulder surgery was is always a really hard thing when you're coming out of a sling and trying to get your range of motion back. So when I started working with my post-op shoulder patients with this new cup and I started moving with it right away, I found that their range of motion improvements were exponentially better than when I did it without the cups. Mm. So I really started playing with that in like 2006, like I was saying, and then I got to um, University of California, Berkeley in 2008 and I started working working with athletes in the training room setting. So I was working with Division One athletes every day, and they were kind of my guinea pigs at the time for really playing with negative pressure using motion. And so that's where that kind of really started from from a sports medicine standpoint, and kind of grew in the sports medicine world. So by 2009 2010, our group myofascial decompression started teaching courses. We paired with Major League Baseball in 2011 2012, and then NFL in 2014, and then. The Michael Phelps effect of 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my story of like this thing that started with me as like patient zero <laughs> and then grew into this idea of 
using cups to help improve your mobility. I'm, I'm curious too, did you feel the need like once you had that one session and you felt incredible improvements, you can play again, you didn't have residual soreness, did you ha- need to go back to the cupping and, and continue? That's a great question. So I found that because I worked out consistently, you know, and I did some mobility work as well as a lot of strengthening and, you know, I had my strength program three days a week that I really felt like it lasted me at least two months. And this was the one thing like, again, I tried foam rolling, I tried grasping, I tried manipulation, I tried needling. And paired with exercise, this negative pressure thing just did something different. Hmm. And I knew right away that it was different just because of the longevity of how those results lasted. And it was just something that kind of made more sense with it. But you're right, you, you do have to take care and maintain some of these things by going back at some point. But the window of time that I was benefited from, from this one intervention was like two months. And it really blew my mind. Mm. Most of the other things, it's like three or four days and I have to go back and redo that foam roller or, you know, get back on scraping or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So one treatment seemed to give a lot of lasting effect for you. I want to ask a little bit. It seemed like that that first provider you went and saw, you know, they were very against you doing the movement. Right. So <laughs> yeah. can you talk a little bit about if you are there still applications you use where people aren't moving? Do you generally always incorporate movement with it? Are there different techniques that you primarily use right now? Absolutely. So there, there's let's just give an overview of what cupping is. So mm-hmm. cupping is like an overall umbrella that encompasses anything negative pressure. So an acupuncturist could do cupping and lay down in face down on the table and leave them on for, like I said, 15, 20 minutes, which is the traditional use of cupping. And then you can go to a Middle Eastern practitioner, which practices something called hijima, which is wet cupping, where they actually bleed an area. So they'll put a cup on, lance the area, and you know get blood to come out of the area, which is a very different technique, very different mechanisms, and for very different reasons. Um, and then what we practice in a Western medicine setting is pairing cups with movement patterns and movement retraining. And again, it's just one of those things that we have a lens towards fashion. What we're trying to target is something different than wet cupping or energy flow, like in an Eastern medicine standpoint. So there's, there's lots of ways of using cups, but when you pair it with range of motion and activation patterns, you're going to get the biggest change in range of motion and mobility, right? As compared to if you're just staying static, yeah, it's going to feel something. You're going to feel something different when you get off the table. But if you have it move, you can't expect your range of motion to have changed a lot. And that's one thing that differentiates what we talk about with myofascial decompression or the movement with cups as compared to traditional cupping. Now, why is that happening? Like, I think getting into the sciency stuff, mm-hmm, <laughs> of, mm-hmm. you know, how is that really improving range of motion? And how is this? What, what does decompression even mean? Especially because I feel like a lot of interventions, you see it initially and then a lot of people start claiming all sorts of different things, right? Like you'll see it with different things like, oh, what's Graston doing? What's dry cupping doing? What's or cupping doing? What's dry needling doing? And there's all these sorts Mm -hmm. of claims. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that we want to do is bust through the myths of what is cupping actually doing and what might it not be doing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And even just to set the stage for that, like you have to realize this has been around for thousands of years, right? Oh, yeah. And... When I started teaching, I got really kind of popular really fast because Cal's a big program, a big sports medicine group. And, you know, we have a lot of networks. And when it started growing into the Major League Baseball realm, I got a lot of new classes that opened up and I started getting excited about it. And I'm really close with my grandmother. And I went to my grandmother. I said, you know, grandma, I'm doing this really cool thing. People are really starting to like it. It's taking off. It's, it's great. 
And she's like, what are you doing, mijo? And she's like, I started describing cupping. And I was like, you know, it's like cupping, but you move with it. And for sports, it's really great. And she's like, mijo, that's nothing new. I've been doing that with your aunties since before you were born, <laughs> right? Because in Mexican-American culture, they use it for respiratory issues. And so that's just a kind of passed down the times of a way of using this negative pressure in a totally different way. And from a holistic standpoint, they use it for respiratory issues. And so we have to discern kind of why was, cu why was cupping used for so many years and for what reasons and methodology that they talk about versus what we claim it to be versus what it really is. And, and the short answer is like, there's more unknown about cupping than there is known about cupping as mm -hmm. with most manual therapy and a lot of other modalities that are out there, unfortunately, right? But I think traditionally what they used to think would happen is that you would create blood flow to an area that lacked blood flow and that would improve the energy flow, right, of that particular area of the body. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about energy flow, again, we're crossing from east to west. It's, it's a very different way of looking at the overall body's health in general. So I would say in, in simple terms, what we know now is really only two things. Two things out of all the things that are claimed that are actual factual researched information pieces. One, that you increase blood flow to the local area and increase that temperature there. That's one thing that we can measure that's been you know, cited and studied many, many different articles. And so that is one thing that we are sure of. It brings more blood flow to an area, increases the local temperature of that area. Two, that if you work with range of motion while a cup is on your body, that after you take that cup off, you will have an increased range of motion. And that is mostly in the short term, but some small studies also have it with longer term effects. Hmm. And that's really all we truly know about cupping on the body. So my then follow up to that would be one, like, especially for the first study, you know, that we have saying that it's bringing more blood to the area. So what? Right. So what does that mean? What does that do? So, you know, I think you can get on a bicycle and pedal for five minutes before I start working with you in my physio clinic and that gets great blood flow and it's active. Right. So I get two for one. I get cardiovascular increases and I get that body part to get warm. So I don't use cupping or myofascial decompression ever for just blood flow because I think there's so many ways of doing it that are more of an active and empowering way where people can do it for themselves. And I'm all about people doing it for themselves. And the second point, though, is putting a cup on with range of motion changes. It is important to understand that where you feel your lack of mobility sometimes is not the actual primary root source of why you lack mobility in that area right? Uh, what we really started to understand in the body is that we're filled with connective tissue linkages, and we call them like fascial slings. I don't know if you guys talk about fascial slings that much. Mm -hmm. But when you think about these connective tissue pieces and the way they connect the, you know, upper body to the lower body, or the hips to the thigh, or the low back to the pelvis, these different pieces of connective tissue are just kind of strung across different membranes across different muscle groups and create this like whole, what we call a kinetic chain, right? And so sometimes if you put a cup on somebody's back, they actually don't improve back range of motion very well. But if you go up the lat, because the lat has such a connection into the low back, and you release some of the tissue in the side of their thoracic spine or the side of the body there, 
that lat gets such an improvement in mobility that now their back can move better. So it really comes down to like having a specific understanding of where movement happens in your body and then what feels tight versus what is actually restricting that range of motion. I think that's so important. And Jen and I definitely talk about fascia and different ways that that <laughs> impacts, I think, kind of the technical science term you're talking about is the regional interdependence of all of the parts of our body. And Jen and I talk about that all the time, how our hips move yep. affects how our back feels and how our upper back moves affects how our lower back oh, yeah. feels and all throughout the chain. So I'm I'm so happy that you bring that up. And I really appreciate and I just need to give you kudos for saying, you know, we probably know less than we actually know about cupping and most manual techniques. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. who have a specific technique they like to use are afraid to say something like that because then they're almost admitting, oh, hey, we don't know exactly what's going on, right? Um, oh, yeah. And I think one thing that I want to ask you is you, you kind of talk about, okay, if we put cups on the lat and kind of release what's going on there, that might be what helps the back out. I, I think this word that I want to hone in on is release. A lot of people say, oh, it, mm -hmm. it releases mm -hmm. or you hear yeah. that word, you know, in a lot of different manual techniques. Releasing so, the fascia. Yeah, releasing the fascia or, <laughs> yep. you know, yep. decompressing the tissues. So can you talk a little totally. bit more about what might be happening there? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite kind of myths to dispel is the idea that you can break up fascial, like kind of fibrosis. <laughs> so let's, let's define a couple terms here. When you see scar tissue in your body, scar tissue is generally an accumulation of it. A lot of connective tissue thrown down too quickly in a very disorganized way. And once it gets to be past, I would say, three months of that, it is very hard to break apart that particular little element that's happened to your body, right? And that scar tissue is really what we call like a fibrosis, a thickening of connective tissue in a very disorganized way versus what we call an adhesion. Adhesions, you hear this term all the time as well. Adhesions are really areas of connective tissue that have less mobility than they're meant to have. And sometimes there is also what we call a densification of collagen. Collagen is like the biggest building block of your connective tissue. And that collagen has gotten thicker and thicker and thicker and more dense, and it doesn't glide as well as it should. And what we used to think of 10 years ago is that, oh, we want to get in there, get that foam roller or that grassing tool and break it up. We're going to break up that adhesion. And what we've learned is that really doesn't happen. That really doesn't take place. And what we need to do is just shift our semantics into what is actually happening is you're trying to lubricate an area that has less mobility than it had before an injury. And that lubrication really is, is kind of hyaluronic acid. So the ground substance is what we call that kind of big matrix. The primary molecule is hyaluronic acid. So no, don't go out and get those creams for your face and all the different things that you know, you're going to have to do work. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to gain mobility with some work. But I think it's something to be said about what we're truly, tr truly trying to achieve is improved lubrication of the connective tissue elements and we're not breaking apart almost anything. Huge, huge. And especially because that word release, myofascial release is, is still yeah. very, very popular, right? And even if, and I want to yeah. dive into as well, when we talk about myofascial decompression, that's what it says on your Instagram, right? So what does that mean? If we're not releasing any fascia, what does it mean to decompress it? Yeah, it's a great question. And until honestly, 2015, and my work at the University of California at San Francisco Medical School, we, we didn't really understand what that meant at all. What was really cool is that 
I scoured the literature. This is like 2010, 2011, 2013, 2012. And I couldn't find any imaging ever of a cup on somebody's body that they took to find out what the mechanical effects are. It blew my mind. I mean, this has been around for thousands of years that nobody has ever stuck someone inside an MRI or a CAT scan or something to image what the actual mechanical effects of a cup on the body are had not ever been done. So I was like, whoa. And I was getting into, you know, a lot of these kind of discussions with people that were anti-manual therapy that they saying, ah, cupping just affects your skin and fat. You're not pulling anything else other than skin and fat. And I was trying to debate them, but I had no ammunition. I had nothing to gauge that on because no study had ever been done. So in 2015, we took two subjects, and a male and a female, and we put them inside an MRI with cups on their body. And that was the first picture we ever took. Mm-hmm. And when we saw that you are actually pulling, not just, we put it on the upper trap. So right on the top of your shoulder, we put it on the upper trap muscle, and we put them in the MRI and took beautiful pictures in all planes of or all planes of view. And we saw not only did we pull the upper trapezius into the actual volume of that cup, but we even pulled parts of the supraspinatus, which is the muscle under the upper trapezius, towards that same area. Meaning we're not just pulling muscle, but we're pulling superficial and deep muscles when you put a cup on the body. Which is just it was so mind blowing of how much muscle was actually getting tethered into the actual volume of the cup. So that's something that really kind of changed our understanding of the mechanical effects of cups on the body. But you have to understand that it also needs to have a, an appropriate amount of pressure to do that. If you look at some of the cups out on the market now and they're silicone cups or um, you have rock pods and you have other things that are very soft and very supple but not high pressure, those actually don't pull much muscle at all. But the plastic ones or the glass ones will. So it really does matter kind of what you're talking about when you talk about what the cup is made of to see what the actual mechanical effects are. But do we know what that is now doing? So now that we see, uh-huh. you know, the yep. the muscle being pulled up, what effect is that creating? Correct. Yeah. So what's really cool is when you pull it up, you can measure before you put the cup on measure the change in distance from the top of the skin down to that first part of the muscle and from that muscle down to the base of the muscle and see what it is before, after. And then we even measured some people come back three days later and we do another MRI to see what the lasting effects are 72 hours later. And so some of that information we haven't published yet, it's it's in uh, submission right now, but it's exciting stuff that some of these mechanical effects last longer than the 24 or 48 hours that we think thought that did. And you actually have mechanical carryover 72 hours later. And what that really means is just improved space for things to slide and glide and improves lubrication of the area. Now, what ne- needs to happen next is like go and measure how much hyaluronic acid content did this person versus that person before and after. I mean, you have about 20 years of research that needs to be done to really fully understand the mechanisms but what we do know is that you improve the space between tissues when you put myofascial decompression to work no i think those are really good points and i think you bring up a funny thing about research that i love to joke about as somebody who like you said was also trained in you know this western school of thought oh what does the literature say i've learned to love literature just so i can tear it apart (laughs) and talk about (laughs) how difficult it is to have great studies and how difficult it is to do a study and then be like okay, so this is significant and it means this. Like, It's so hard to take really yeah. definite takeaways from these things. But based on what totally. you're saying, hey, 
We know that it might create more space or lift these deep tissues. We know that it might be drawing more hyaluronic acid and blood to the area. And if I learned anything, more space and more lubrication equals, you know, better, more comfortable movement a lot of times. Um, Those are two really early principles that, that I learned. So I think that it is, you know, valuable to understand those basic things right off the bat. Yeah, we take basic, you know, understanding of anatomy, physiology, and physics, and we're applying that. And now people need to validate that in the next 15 Mm. to 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's exciting to understand that. I mean, we just found out about the hyaluronic acid thing about 2013, 2014. So we had no idea that there was an actual cell inside fascia called a fasciocyte. That term had not been in existence until 2014 when this researcher in Italy named Carlos Stecco found the fasciocyte which secretes hyaluronic acid within those tissues. Like Mm. that had just been found in 2014. And so now we have this new information paired with other information. We're starting to see what that picture is. But on a thousand piece puzzle, we have maybe, you know, 400 pieces and we don't have a thousand pieces in place yet, right? So we can't see the whole picture. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just so fascinating too to to hear where the research is going, which is exciting, you know, and and to have more clarity to be able to properly educate <laughs> on what yeah, is happening. Absolutely. Because I remember being in in clinics and it's it's like, oh well, the darker the spot, that means that's more restricted. That's why, oh. you know, it looks that way. Can you kind of talk about the difference in what you might see? Uh, amongst, you know, the colors. Absolutely. I'd love to dispel three myths right now. And let's start with the colors because that one is probably the most talked about. It is what brought, you know, myofascial decompression to the big stage. We had worked with Team USA in 2015 and 2016 with the USA Swimming and you saw Michael Phelps in 2016 and boom, big stage, big platform. Everybody talked about the cut marks. That was the big hoopla of, you know, 2016. This year, it's all about mental health and thank God we're talking about mental health, but you know, I diverge. Let's go back to that cup mark itself. It's all about capillary wall leakage and rupture. And so for thousands of years, they would see cup marks and say, you know, when it's darker, this person has more sickness, they have more health problems. And we think that there's more quote unquote toxins going on in the body. And because of that, they think the cup mark matched the amount of toxicity or the amount of lack of healthy tissue in the area and you needed to promote kind of better again chi mobility in terms of the energy flow of the body but also blood flow to that area now every study that's ever been done on cut marks has really only looked at um, blood that's been drawn before and after doing cupping in a traditional realm and what they see is oxygenated versus deoxygenated blood but nothing that's measurable in terms of toxins so there's been only about three or four studies done that tried to look at things like uh, mercury and, and cadmium and aluminum, these, these heavy metal toxins that we talk about that get into your body because of, you know, all the pollution that we deal with and all the nutrients that are being stripped from soils and blah, blah, blah. And really, there's no study that has actually measured anything clinically appreciable with that. So the idea of toxins is really not very well understood when it comes to a cut mark. What we do know is that it's mostly capillary but blood that has leaked out of the capillaries or that particular capillary bed has some rupturing of the walls. And so your body's going to come in there and repair that. And that's part of, I think, why people get better and you get better blood perfusion to it. You get thicker walled capillaries and better blood in that area. This is going to mean healthier tissue. But there's nothing that has been identified as in terms of a biopsy or a blood draw that says, 
this tissue that has dark marks has, you know, X, Y, and Z toxins in this area that has a light mark or doesn't have a mark doesn't have those toxins. Mm. Unfortunately, nothing's been out in the literature for that. Um, and so nothing is really linear to how dark it is matching to how um, healthy or unhealthy that tissue is. Yeah, I think I saw a post that you had put up once uh, just of the back and it showed that the ones in the lower back were much, just to kind of, oh, yeah. you know, give exactly. people an example, the, the lower back were much lighter and the lower back yep. for people who know anatomy a little bit is like one of the densest, thickest areas of this superficial, you know, surface fascial tissue and all these different tissues where we don't have a lot of capillary density versus the upper back where the marks are generally always so much more dark. Absolutely. Yeah, I put a little montage together because these people are claiming lots of different practitioners from all different disciplines saying, oh, look at all these marks. They're so dark. This is where that, you know, real bad toxins are. And we release the toxins again, that word release. <laughs> and, and again, like you said, there's so much more vascular density in the areas of your upper back than your lower back. So of course, you're going to get darker marks in areas of higher capillary bed densities. Yeah, you hit it on the head there, Dom. Good job on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning, learning from the best. So when it comes to to goals, you know, now we know that the goal isn't darker is better, <laughs> right? That I no. need to only put yeah. it on those areas. That means it's effective. So totally. what would be like the goal of treatment and how do you know that it's effective? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that cupping is used for, two things, is one, to reduce pain. And unfortunately, pain is so complex and there's so many variables to it that you could throw 10 things at something and you will reduce pain. And cupping is one of those things. Um, now, the, the literature is not great on just changing pain with cupping. But the other thing you change again is improved range of motion. So let's say, you know, you had an old shoulder injury five years ago, and it's never been quite the same. And you go up for all the way reaching above your head, and one side reaches real easy with ease of glide, and the other side just has a little bit of stickiness. And you've been working on stretching, you've been working on, you know, your capsule and doing your sleeper stretch or pulling in the doorway, um, and you just can't quite sustain some of the mobility gains that you're getting. I think a cup on the posterior part of your deltoid which is what we call a rotator cuff interval, is a great area because there's such high vascular density in the area and it's very easy for things to get sticky. There's a lot of stuff that crosses. And when we talk about fascia, like these densification areas are often where a lot of different fascia converges on one spot and crosses itself. And that's an easy place for friction to build up and for stickiness to build up, meaning not as much lubrication and not as much space. So I think when you think about areas of your body where your foam rolling is just a little bit more irritable or a little more stiff or a little more dense, those are good places to throw a cup on and then go through your mobility training with that. So cupping, you initially came to this because you found that it really impacted some of some symptoms that you were feeling during volleyball. Like, do you still use it on yourself today? And, and if so, like, yeah. what kind of role does it play in your overall movement and just physical rehab or whatever program? Yeah, absolutely. I am a geriatric athlete at this point compared <laughs> as you look at the literature of how we analyze what type of, you know, age scales people are in, but it, it's something that you need to continue to improve your mobility because guess what? Your natural aging process and natural degeneration is working against you. Over time, no matter what, no matter how healthy you are, no matter how much green juice you drink, you lose water content over time. That just happens. And when you lose water content over time, things are going to have increase 
adhesion-based stickiness, or like however you want to talk about it, whether you want to talk about hyaluronic acid or you know fascial adhesions, whatever it is, you're going to have less water content just because that's the natural way we start to age. And so for this to improve some of that hydration in that area and some of that lubrication of those tissues, it's such a huge part, of, I think, of my overall maintenance that if I don't put a cup on my shoulder in terms of my outside part of my shoulder and that posterior deltoid that I talked about, at least once a month or, t- or every other month, I'd say, I start getting a little bit of AC joint pain. So my anterior portion of my shoulder starts hurting. And then as soon as I do that, I go through my mobility work. I'm kind of back to my baseline. Same thing with my IT band. So I play soccer and if my IT band starts getting a little bit stickier, I start having some patellar pain. And if I go to start playing soccer in a new league, you know, it's the first two weeks and my my knee starts getting really painful, I know I need to hit my IT band and the side of my thigh to make sure that my lateral thigh glides better than it did. So those are a couple of my like maintenance things that I'll jump on just to make sure that my body is, you know, in this new decade, uh, able to do what it did a decade ago. I know you said that you like using the cups with movement. Do you do one? Do you do the cups on yourself or do you go see someone Mm -hmm. and do you have like, I think you have maybe a tool people could use. (laughs) And, and how do you know, like what movements to do? I guess that would be, how how do you use it? I, I would really, I would really have thought 10 years ago that I think you need to go see someone. And I've changed my rhetoric. Again, I think it's so important that we evolve as we read more, as we learn more. And I think there's so many things that you can empower yourself to do now that as long as you respect some of the precautions and contraindications, and I'll list, just list a couple and you guys can go to my website and see more of those, that it's really safe to do for yourself. You have to remember my grandmother was doing this to my aunties, you know, 50 years ago. And nobody died, nobody went to the hospital and like they didn't have a medical background. So, you know, there are some safety concerns, but I think the general population can be really safe and really effective with something like this. So I think, you know, as long as you think about being safe and not putting it on your eyeballs or your armpits or your groin where there's large vessels that can do some bad things if you leave them on too long in these like armpit areas or growing areas. You can be really safe and really effective with it. And the beauty of it is that the way you move matters in terms of how you feel like you want to move. I used to be a lot more rigid of like, oh, you have to go only in this plane of motion to make it effective. And I've learned over time that, guess what? You can go the opposite of what that is and you still get good carryover in terms of mobility improvements. So I think, I I don't think you have to be so specific in moving the right way. It's just moving in the way that your body felt restricted before that hopefully will improve its newfound mobility. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So what we have on our website is a self-starter kit. It's like three curved cups and the curves when you start moving really matter. So there's flat cups out Mm. there and there's curved cups out there. And I used to use only flat because that's all that was available. And unfortunately, when you go through movement, it would pop off a lot. And so if you have cups that are popping off, it means you've not found the curved cup and the curved cup is so important. And so we sell this little self-starter kit with three curves and a pump and you put it on where you feel like that restriction is, and you start moving in the directions that you feel restricted into. And by the time you get them off, that new range of motion has improved and your mobility has improved because of that. That's amazing. And so how long are people, you know, anticipating needing to leave these cups on for each session? I mean, I'm sure that it comes with some more instruction. So an acupuncturist, if you go to see an acupuncturist in a traditional setting, they'll leave them on for 10 to 20 minutes. And I think that's way too long. And actually new research has shown 
that five minutes, you get better blood flow than after 20 minutes mm. because you get this kind of reverse uh, bell curve of it. Yeah. And so if you leave it on for just three minutes, I think three minutes is my magic mark. Anywhere from three minutes to four minutes, it's really going to get you what you want without wasting your time and without doing too much vessel damage. So I think that three minute is a kind of baseline for getting good improvements. So it's not very long. This should not take you that long. And you can pair it with the other things you do. If you are a yogi and you love yoga, put it on in your most unfavorite, you know, move and going through some flow and see what that does for your flow. If you love Pilates, put it on in the Pilates move that you just can't get quite right and see how it affects your Pilates. If you like mobility work, put it on in the mobility work. You just can't find a way to get over that hump and you'll get over that hump, I bet you. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I love that you have like a direct amount of time that's most effective as well. I think that's really helpful for people to understand. And one last thing I do want to ask about too is like, you know, what is the difference then between putting heat on the cups or yeah. just doing them without heat? That is the one nice thing about glass cups, or sometimes they'll even use bamboo. But when you have a heat effect, it does increase the sensory changes in that local area in terms of that warmth. So you do get a little mechanoreceptor change. And mechanoreceptors are just like kind of our sensory feelers in our skin. And so that is one thing that is different with a heat element compared to these pneumatic ones or the silicone ones. So um, in terms of range of motion and mobility changes, it's really not going to change very much whether you have heat or not. In terms of pain modulation or your ability to feel different afterwards, it really depends on what your preference is. So you have to find that for yourself. Gotcha. Chris, I just appreciate so much everything that you've come in and shared. I, I think that your open attitude about how much we still have to learn about cupping and, and all manual therapies is something that a lot of therapists could um, hop on that bandwagon of continuing to learn on how these different techniques and different tools uh, can really help us. Where would people go to either find this kit or find more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I mean, again, I've been doing this for 15 years and the more I've learned, the more questions I have. So yeah, mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. stay curious, my friends out there. Unfortunately, there's more answers that are needed, but uh, there's a lot of great information on my website. It's cuptherapy.com. Um, we tried to use myofascialdecompression.com, but nobody could spell that. So we've changed it and <laughs> turned it into more of a layperson term. Uh, and use my, or sorry, cuptherapy.com as our website. Or you can just find us on Instagram at cuptherapy. And that has a lot of great information. We have some fun stuff with what the cup Wednesdays. So we talk about the things that are kind of not so smart to use with cups. And then science Fridays. And then we also have a podcast that we talk a lot of uh, semantics with different other professionals um, in the industry about some uh, tangential subjects and whatnot. So those are all fun things. And, and most of the time, what the cup is the hashtag we use the most. It's our fun one. <laughs> I love that. That's cute. And and I really, I think it could be super beneficial. So especially if people are feeling, you know, a little restriction and can't kind of get over the hump, like you said, checking out the kit, I think is a great way to just continue the journey. It's always a journey of continuing to explore your Absolutely. body and anything that can help people explore movement and, and, you know, improve their range of motion. I am all for it. So thank you for what yes, you're doing, Chris, absolutely. and, and the work that you're continuing to do to bring education and research in this space as well. Definitely. So excited to kind of promote some more research in the future. And yeah, just keep posted on the Instagram to find out what we're coming out with next. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. 
Hopefully you enjoyed a little bit of a different standpoint on what manual therapy might mean and how you could really effectively use it in your body. Now, this could even be effective for what we're going to talk about next week. We're talking about chronic ankle sprains and really building back in this joint sense and this awareness within the body. Maybe even cupping can help with that. So stay tuned for next week when we talk about chronic ankle sprains.